On the show today, meat processor JBS becomes the latest company forced to shut down operations due to ransomware. The Supreme Court decides to limit the power of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Amazon prepares to roll out a new feature that might share your Wi-Fi network with others. Our Scam of the Day discusses one of the oldest software threats, the Trojan. And today's tip teaches you how to protect the data on a broken phone. All of that and more is coming up on the June 7th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have five stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with news of another disruptive ransomware attack. Last week, meat processing company JBS suffered a ransomware attack. The FBI has attributed the attack to the R-Evil Ransomware Group, a Russian-based group. R-Evil has not said anything publicly about the attack, but they are typically silent when they're in discussions with a company or after the company has paid the ransom. RBS said that their backup systems were not affected by the ransomware, and it does not have any evidence to indicate that data was compromised. The company said that it expected to return to full operations by the end of last week. As of right now, it is unknown whether or not JBS paid the ransom. Moving on to a Supreme Court decision last week, the High Court released a decision to limit the use of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. In the case in question before the court, a Georgia police sergeant had accepted money in exchange for providing information on a person's driving record. The situation turned out to be an FBI sting, and the sergeant was arrested and charged under the CFAA. However, in a 6-3 decision, the Supreme Court overturned the conviction by ruling that the law only applies to accessing data that the user is not otherwise authorized to access. However, the court was also clear that it did not condone the sergeant's actions, saying the actions still likely constituted criminal activity under other existing statutes. And in a break from the typical division on the court, three of the justices from the court's conservative wing joined three from the liberal wing in forming the majority. The Electronic Frontier Foundation was one of several privacy groups that hailed the court's ruling as finally placing limits on a law that was vague and overused. They argued that a loose application of the law, as was used in this case, could turn a large portion of the country into criminals for extremely minor activity, such as accessing personal email on a work device without express permission. And I personally come down on the same side as the EFF. 
a loose interpretation of the law has the potential to turn it into something that would be used to target some people while allowing others doing the same thing to go free. And when there are situations that need to be addressed, such as this case, they can be handled through other laws or by drafting legislation more specific to the circumstance. And while we're on the subject of sharing data, a new Amazon feature will allow Alexa users nearby to begin sharing your internet connection. Starting tomorrow, June 8th, Amazon will enable its Amazon Sidewalk feature, which allows devices that do not have an internet connection to automatically share the wireless networks of other Amazon device owners within range. The feature does have an opt-out provision, but any American users who have not specifically said they want to opt out will be automatically enrolled in the new program. Amazon promises it has taken steps to protect the privacy and security of its users and that the program will only use a small amount of data per month, but there are still some significant unanswered questions about exactly how information will be kept secure. If you have an Amazon device and do not want to participate in the program, you can visit the account settings of your Alexa app, find the Amazon Sidewalk setting, and turn it off. And while Amazon is making some questionable security decisions, the payment app Venmo is fixing one of its biggest privacy issues. Many Venmo users have been surprised to learn that information about payments is not kept private by default, meaning that they can be seen by others. This fact was recently used to track down information on President Biden's payment history showing that he had used the app to send money to his grandkids. Venmo was built as a social payment app, and the social part of it is what many people overlook. But now, the latest update to the app allows you to specify whether you want your friends list to be public, limited to only your friends, or private. If you want to make the list private, you can go to the settings, select Friends List, and then change the setting from public to private. And finally, the European Union has announced plans for an international system to verify the identity of its citizens online. This system would allow access to government services, such as utility systems or government records, with a single login. It would also provide a vault where users could store documents, such as a driver's license. The EU says that its apps will enforce a separation from all other apps on the devices used, meaning that this digital identity could not be used by third parties for tracking purposes. The EU says it hopes to have the system rolled out in about a year. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's scam is the Trojan. This is an older form of software-based attack that you might be familiar with. It gets its name from the Trojan horse of Greek mythology. In that story, the Greeks pretended to sail away from the city of Troy and left a giant wooden horse which the Trojans thought was a gift for the city. The night after the horse was brought inside, the Greek troops hidden in the horse 
snuck out and opened the gates for the rest of the Greek army, which had returned under the cover of darkness. In a similar manner, Trojan malware will get onto your system by pretending to be something that it's not. For example, a program could claim to be a free, useful program, such as a free alternative for Microsoft Word. In some cases, the program might actually work as you'd expect, but it will also contain malicious software. In other cases, the program will just install the malicious software, and you'll be left wondering why this program you downloaded doesn't work as you expected it to. More recently, another popular variation of the Trojan attack will come in your email, pretending to be an attachment that you need to open. But of course, when you open that attachment, the malicious software is installed instead. Regardless of how it tricks you, once it is on your system, the Trojan will take action to compromise your device. It could open security holes and call out to a server, letting an attacker know your system is now vulnerable. It might also try to copy your data and send it to another server in the hopes that it can find something sensitive to steal. Or it could install ransomware, locking up all of your files until you pay the ransom. Don't trust every site that's offering you software for free, especially if it's software that you usually have to pay for. And make sure you only download software from the legitimate software maker's site. It's common for malicious actors to create fake download pages for this software or to download the legitimate software and bundle their unwanted software along with it. So be very careful in researching programs that you decide to download and install on your systems. If you find a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now we move on to our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each week, we ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a multiple choice question. The question is, which of the following is not a likely attack when you use a Wi-Fi network? A, your data could be intercepted and monitored. B, the network could be accessed from outside your home or business. C, your computer could be used to send spam emails. Or D, the encryption on your network could be compromised if not set correctly. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to submit your guess and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 in August. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode airs next Monday, June 14th. For official giveaway rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules.
Last week's question was, you downloaded a program from the internet that says it has been examined and certified as safe by CYD Security. Should you continue with the installation? Yes or no? Now, to be honest with you, I dropped the ball on this question a little bit. It was worded very poorly, and based on other circumstances, the correct answer could be either option. A better way to word the question would have been to ask if you should trust that the certification is safe. And the correct answer to that question is no. First, as far as I know, there is no company called CYD Security. And there's also no company that certifies downloads as safe. Even if there was a certification, it would be relatively easy for someone to replicate that and make you believe that a malicious program was safe when it's not. In fact, I would immediately be suspicious of any place that claimed its download was certified as safe by a company that I'd never heard of. I would wonder if they did that just to increase the number of people who will actually go through with the installation. And a final word of warning. Many security programs will scan your downloads and check them for malware. So if you see a message that the security software you have installed on your system has scanned your download and found it safe, that is a legitimate message. I'm not referring to messages that come up when you download the software. I'm referring to ones that come up during the installation process itself. Previously on this show, we've discussed the need to take precautions when you dispose of an old device. If you don't take steps to protect your data, it could be recovered from the device even if you've deleted it. But what happens when your device is damaged and you can't take those precautions? Well, fortunately, you're not out of luck. We'll discuss the steps that you can take to protect the data on a broken phone or tablet when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, We'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support. And now, back to the show. It was a very bad morning. I woke up and went to grab my phone to check the time, only to realize that my phone was not in its typical spot. After a few seconds of searching, I found it on the floor, but it took only a few seconds more to realize the screen was completely damaged. It wasn't just that I cracked the glass on the screen, the screen did not work at all. Apparently, at some point during the night, I knocked it off the nightstand, where it plunged to its death 
on the corner of my bed frame. Unfortunately, you can't predict when you will damage your phone. Whether you're dealing with water damage, a cracked screen, or a phone that just won't turn on anymore, you will want to take steps to make sure the data on that phone remains safe. You can start by taking some steps right now that will help you to prepare for that day. We'll discuss those first, and then we'll move on to what you can do after your phone is damaged. First, set up a lock screen with a password, a passcode, or biometric protection. This does not have to be a complicated password like you would use on a website. Even a short six-digit passcode combined with enabling the feature to wipe the device after 10 incorrect entries would be enough to protect your information without making it too difficult to unlock your phone. If you break your screen and then someone who gets your phone is able to replace the screen, you don't want it to boot up and give someone immediate access to your information. As I mentioned, make sure to enable the feature that wipes your phone if the password is entered incorrectly too many times. That way, if someone is really determined to get into your phone and is wanting to try every possible combination, they'll still be stopped after 10 attempts. Second, make sure that you have set up Find My Device on Android or Find My iPhone on Apple. While most people think of this as something to help you locate your phone if it's lost, there's more that it can do. You can enable a remote wipe of your device if you lose it or damage it. That way, if your phone is still able to connect to the internet, it will receive the wipe signal and protect your private data. Obviously, remote wipe isn't going to work if the phone was damaged to the point where it won't turn on or connect to the internet, such as if the phone was dropped in water. However, repairing a phone damaged to that point is going to be more complicated than just repairing a broken screen, which means it's less likely that someone would attempt to do it. Third, make sure you've enabled encryption on your device. This should be enabled by default on both iOS and Android, but you want to make sure that it's turned on. Encryption will make sure that someone won't be able to get the data off your device, even if the phone can still be connected to a computer. Assuming you've taken the right steps before your phone gets damaged, there will be just a few additional steps you'll need to take once the phone has been broken. First, you'll want to try connecting your phone to a computer. In many cases, the phone will still connect and you'll be able to get copies of your data off of it. You might even be able to wipe the data on the phone from your computer. Second, if you weren't able to wipe the phone from your computer, you'll want to activate the remote wipe through Find My iPhone or Find My Device. As I mentioned earlier, if your device is still able to connect to the internet, it will receive that remote wipe signal and delete your information. And third, you'll also want to change your Google or Apple password. That password is what connects your device to your Apple or Google account. If that password changes, your phone will recognize the change 
and take steps to lock down your associated account. This isn't going to wipe everything on the device, and it won't even help delete data being stored from the various apps, but it will protect your Google or Apple account from being used. And since those accounts often connect to other services such as calendar or email, it's a worthwhile extra step to help protect your privacy. And finally, if you break a device that you use for work, make sure to discuss it with your company's IT department. They will likely have specific procedures they want to follow to ensure that the company's data is protected. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and come back again next Monday. As the big tech companies get more powerful and collect more data about us, our tip will discuss how you can get away from these big tech companies. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked to the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.